This is the Trails Church Podcast. At the Trails Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples through the gospel in community and on mission. If you'd like more information about our church, visit our website, thetrails.org. Now here's today's podcast. And open your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus 20. On March 19th, 2005, or the day of days as I call it, I stood on the platform at Christ Chapel Bible Church in Fort Worth and um, Jamie Lynn Kreitz and I made a covenant before God and a company of witnesses. The minister's name was Ted Kitchens, who was the pastor at Christ Chapel for many years, and he asked me to repeat after him a series of vows. So I looked into Jamie's eyes, I took her by the hands, and I vowed, I, Matthew, that's my full name, my mom calls me that, I, Matthew, take you, Jamie, to be my lawful wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forth, for better or worse, in poverty or wealth, in sickness or in health, till death do us part. And then he asked Jamie to repeat those same words after him, as we made a covenant before God to live in this world as man and wife. At no time in those vows did Jamie interrupt the pastor saying, well, wait a minute, when you say for better or worse, what kind of worse are we talking about? Uh, Never did I snap out of my love trance. I couldn't look away from her and say, hold on, what, what kind of sickness would be uh, in view here. No, we accepted the vows as they were because we loved one another. And we wanted those rules or vows to determine the kind of relationship that we would have together as man and wife. Today we've reached another one of those unforgettable scenes that the book of Exodus is so well known for. As a matter of fact, it's one of the most important passages in the whole of Scripture. As the children of Israel stand in the shadow of Mount Sinai and behold the lightning and smoke of God's glory and the thundering sound of his voice, the Lord will lay forth the terms of his covenant relationship. He's written these sort of vows for his people to make. And at no such time on this day of days do the people ever interrupt him saying, hey, this is too much for us. They accept them as they come because they've seen how the Lord has lavished his love on them. And now they hear these covenant vows that would determine the rules of their relationship that they would have together as God and people. The text before us is typically referred to as the Ten Commandments, though scripture never uses that phrase. Instead, In Exodus 34, 28, we hear them referred to as the Decalogue uh, or the Ten Words. Now, these verses do contain commands. It's okay to call them the Ten Commandments. But they also include other things like declarations and warnings and even promises. And this passage is so unique. All of the other communication of God in this book is, is given through the mediator Moses. But these words are spoken directly by God in the ear of his people. Perhaps it's been some time since you've um, spent some time 
in the Ten Commandments. We live in an age where few can recite them from memory. One report in 2007 said people could quote every ingredient of the Big Mac, but not the Ten Commandments. We live in an age where um, these commands are relegated, much less I wonder how long it's been since you've considered how they might apply to your daily life. I hope this morning we are able to see the great importance of these words written so long ago and what they meant for the lives of God's people and for our life in Christ. The words contained in Exodus 20, 1 through 17, summarize how God commanded the Israelites to live as his redeemed people. Each of the ten words uh, communicates something of the character and nature of the Lord, while at the same time laying out carefully the statutes that are meant to shape his people into a certain kind of people, shaped by love for God and love for one another. I want to outline our text First, by looking at the redeeming love of the Lord. And then we'll summarize the covenant that he makes under two uh, familiar headings. So, love the Lord your God, and then love your neighbor. So, let me invite you, if you would, to stand once more as we read together from God's holy and inerrant word. Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. We'll travel this familiar Land together. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is within them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, nor shall... You covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. First, let us consider together the redeeming love of the Lord. Verses 1 and 2. 
before the first commandment is spoken by the word of God or etched on a tablet of stone, the Lord lays the foundation of their covenantal relationship in who he is and what he has done. Look at the language of verse 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. That expression right there becomes one of the great formulas of Scripture. It's used 125 different times to describe the character and graciousness of Yahweh. Though these verses are small in stature, they are massively important for us to understand. And I believe they are best understood by the three truths that they highlight about the Lord. First, God tells them who He is, the Lord. The Hebrew word for the Lord there is His divine name, Yahweh. And as we hear the name of God announced, our minds are sent back in time to Mount Sinai, When Moses was there alone, standing in the wilderness, barefoot, talking to a burning bush. And at that holy place, in that holy moment, the holy God introduced himself to a trembling mortal man. Moses was welcomed into the burning presence of God. It was there in Exodus 3 that Moses asked God what his name was. And he replied, I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. Now, God declares his name to the entire congregation as they are all welcomed into the burning presence of the Lord. First thing is he is the Lord. The second truth that this clarifies is that the Lord is their God. The Israelites' God, a personal God. This also follows the pattern of Exodus chapter 3. After Yahweh revealed his name to Moses, he clarified that he was the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He made it clear he was not a God that people should know about or a new God that the people must learn of, but he is the God who has always been and always will be the covenantal God of his people. Now last week we learned that because he was their God, that the Israelites were unique and special to him among all the peoples in the world. They were his treasured possession, his royal priesthood, a kingdom of priests. All of that was true. Because Yahweh was their God. It's dependent first on who he is. The final truth that the Lord rehearses in their ear is that, or what, he has done for them in saving his people. He's the one who brought them out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. The Lord makes sure they recognize that he heard their cry. He saw their suffering. He remembered his covenant and he knew his people. And with his mighty hand and his outstretched arm, he redeemed them through the 10th plague. He saved them as they walked slowly, I think slowly, on the dry ground of the Red Sea. The Lord demonstrated his power over Pharaoh 
over the Egyptians and over the Egyptian gods as he brought them out of Egypt in order to create for himself a people who would love and serve no one but him. So before we dovetail into some familiar territory with these commandments, let me emphasize again what I've already highlighted before. Israel was saved before the law was given. They did not become the people of God by keeping the rules. They became his people when he set his love upon them. God didn't look upon their suffering in Egypt and say, Okay, guys, here are ten rules. And if you obey them perfectly for, let's say, a year or two, then I will save you. No, he redeemed them when they were trapped in slavery. He saved them when they were at their worst. And so it is with us today. The Lord didn't say to us, well, Matt, I see you enslaved in your sins. Here are some rules I want you to keep. And I'll come back and check in on you in a couple of years. Make sure you've obeyed them perfectly. And then I will save you. Uh, that's how the world tells us we can be made right with God. Every other religion is that, and that's bad news. And then it's against that darkness that the light of the gospel shines so brilliantly. Listen to how Paul speaks of this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. God being rich in mercy because of the great love by which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. How did that happen? By grace you have been saved. He writes again in Galatians chapter 3 verse 11. It's evident that no one is justified before God by the law, not by keeping the rules, but, and then he contrasts, the righteous shall live by faith. So yes, the law, these commands given to us, lead us to the gospel. But here we also see that the gospel, salvation, is given before the law. Gathered in the shadows and smoke of Sinai, Israel hears the good news of the redeeming love of the Lord. Do you hear that good news ringing in your heart this morning? The good news of the redeeming love of the Lord. Okay, now, with that foundation laid, we're able to look at the first four commandments found in verses 3 through 11. Uh, these can be summarized by this familiar phrase, love the Lord your God. The opening, this is like a little quartet of commands. A little four-part harmony, and they describe how Israel is supposed to show covenantal love directly to God. Now, we're going to jog through all ten of these commandments rather quickly this morning. Uh, as we look at these first four, I want you to keep the words of our call to worship rattling in your minds. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, the Shema. Listen, comes from the first word of it. Hear, O Israel... The Lord your God, the Lord is one. With that, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Well, what does that look like practically? I'm so glad you asked. I saw your hand on the back row asking 
What, what does that look like? Y'all ask such good questions every week. The first commandment the Lord gives his people is, You shall have no other gods before me. The ten words begin with the ultimate question, Who is worthy of worship? Yahweh and Yahweh alone. The God who will not share his glory with another, says Isaiah 42.8, will neither share his worship with another. There is to be no room for other gods in their hearts. The Lord alone is to be the unrivaled object of their adoration, of their worship, of their love. The second commandment says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image. Okay, if the first commandment addresses the object of their worship, this second commandment addresses the mode. God cares that he is worshipped, and God cares how he is worshipped. So the use of images was very important to ancient worship because people believed that the deity itself was present in the image. The Lord refused to be represented or represented by any image of a created thing. Why? Because he is the uncreated one. No image is capable of holding the weight, the gravitas, the glory and majesty of our God. No carved image. Third, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. This commandment instructs the people on how the name of the Lord is to be treated with reverence and awe. Treated like an act of worship itself. There are two ways the third commandment can be broken. Both are covered under the heading for the English word swearing. One way is to swear an oath to God while at the same time you're lying about it. That's to take his name in vain, swearing in God's name but lying. The second is to use his name uh, flippantly or as an, uh, an expletive, using God's name in a way it was never meant to be used. This command calls God's people to be filled with adoration and reverence for God's name in how they use it. The fourth commandment is to remember the Sabbath day. Now, this is not a new command for God's people. We were taught this back in chapter 16, when the Lord provided manna for six days, and then on the seventh, God rested. And he taught his children to save up on that sixth day, gave them a double portion, so that they too could rest on the seventh day. God gave the Sabbath to his people for them to spend time one day in seven, set aside for worship and rest and remembrance. So there's just a, a quick overview of the first four commandments. What we're taught in all of these commands is that the Lord alone is worthy of worship, that we are to worship him how he has revealed to us, not making it up as we go, we are to revere and adore his name and set aside one day in seven, uh, resting from our normal labor, our normal rhythms to worship him. We're here is this new covenant expression gather on the first day of the week, the day that Christ was risen to do this very thing. So what's the Lord doing in all of this? Well, he's wanting to shape his people in a specific way Uniquely in these first four commands to begin with loving him. Uh, James K.A. Smith makes the connection like this. 
Worship works from the top down, you might say. In worship, we don't just come to show God our devotion and give Him praise. We're called to worship because in this encounter, God remakes and molds us top down. Worship is the arena in which God recalibrates our hearts and reforms our desires and rehabituates our loves. Worship isn't just something that we do. It's where God does something to us. Worship is the heart of discipleship because it's the gymnasium in which God retrains our hearts. The Lord gathered his people at Sinai and condescended to make himself known so that his children would enjoy his presence and so that he could retrain, recalibrate, reform their hearts. He set his love on them and now he calls them to keep his commands as an expression of love first and foremost. This is actually no different than the New Testament. In the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus emphasizes the same pairing of love and obedience when he said to his disciples, if you love me, love, you will keep my commandments. Obedience as an expression of love to Christ. God is saying, if you love me, keep these commandments. The Westminster Catechism begins by asking Uh, Many of you are familiar with this. What is the chief end of man? And then it answers, it is the chief end of man to glorify God and enjoy him forever. These commands given in the desert to the people of God were given that they might glorify God and enjoy him forever together as the people of God. So these first four commandments teach us Love the Lord your God. The following six teach God's people to love one another. Love one another, verses 12 through 17. Okay, back to the New Testament in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, verses 28 through 33. Um, A guy comes up to Jesus and says, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus quotes the passage we read already, Deuteronomy chapter 6, showing how love for God is the fuel for obeying every command. And then he pairs it with this word, love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, Let me just clarify, that's not a New Testament edit or a New Testament idea. Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy 6, and then he quotes from Leviticus chapter 19, where those words are found. God commanding his children these two things, love for the Lord and love for your neighbor. Um, we know the New Testament is chock full of one another's that shape us into even our life here as the Trails Church, right? We're commanded, instructed on what it looks like to love one another in the context of this covenant community. Well, here we see the first list of one another's in commands 5 through 10. So let's look through these. The fifth commandment begins in the home. Honor your father and your mother. Kids, your parents want you to write that down. Honor your father and your mother. I wanted it so bad for our kids, I wrote a little jingle for them to memorize when they were little. We'll teach it to your kids later, not today, but 
Yeah, honor your father and mother. The word honor is to regard them with weightiness, with gravitas, with importance. God wants parents to be cared for with affection and respect because of the role that God has given them. This command to honor parents, by the way, doesn't expire when you turn 18 or when you stormed out the door or when you graduated college or got married. There's not an expiration date on this. To honor your parents, even my dad, who is a very old man. He'll be in the next service. I'll say the same thing. I've seen him even this week care for his parents, both of my grandparents in the hospital right now, different hospitals until yesterday. And just seeing him reorganize his whole life to serve and honor his parents. I think he's trying to lay the groundwork, so I'll do that when he's older. I'm also looking at my in-laws. I got you, okay? (laughs) Honor your parents. Okay, commandments 6 through 8 are each given with no commentary. In Hebrew, they're just two words. No other words, just two. So it's like, not murder. Not adultery, not steal. That's all it said. All right, let's walk through them. We're going to say more than that. Not a whole lot, but some. The sixth commandment is you shall not murder. Now, there are eight different words in Hebrew that could have been used for murder um, or for killing someone. This word specifically means putting to death improperly for selfish reasons. Think vengeance, think anger, think mad passion of love. Instead of with authorization, uh, a death even authorized by the government. The understanding behind this command is the truth that all men and women have been created in the image of God. And since God is the one who gave them life, no one person has the authority to take it from them. So this commandment is really rooted in the Imago Dei. The seventh commandment is you shall not commit Adultery. Now, the audience is men here, but it applies to both men and women. It applies to those married and not married. The Lord knew that the institution of marriage would be attacked under constant attack, both from without and from within, and how healthy marriages are, are foundational for the survival of the family and even the society at large. So he commands Sexual purity in marriage. The Eighth Commandment, you shall not steal. Uh, Even six-year-old boys understand this. We're not going to spend any time on it. But he's calling the Israelites to respect the possessions of others. If it's not rightfully theirs, they can't have it. The Ninth Commandment, you shall not bear false witness. And now here this commentary begins again. This command is not... um, Let's see, it, it, it has a legal aspect to it. It has the, the uh, you know, you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help you God. You know, they've just recently taken that out of the courtroom. Um, but it does have that in view, but much more too. God instructs his people not to lie about one another. One scholar pointed out this included the command to, it uh, is a call to abstain from all lying Deceit, slander, gossip, hello Collin County, backbiting, vilification, hello social media, rash depictions of one another. Instead, one must love the truth and be honest 
and do, I think this is the most pressing piece for us, do all that's possible to protect the good name of one's neighbor. What if Christians lived like that publicly? To do everything we could do to defend a person who's not in the room. But we're not talking about us. We're just talking way back here for the children of Israel at Sinai. Okay, and the final, the final command is you shall not covet. Now, this is more than surface level, right? This isn't just uh, skin deep. This is heart deep. Um, the word for covet has in, in view the desire, uh, the passions of a person. So don't desire your neighbor's house or spouse or anything else that has been given to them and not you. And in this, the Lord wants his people to be content both in him and in the life that he has given them. All right, so that sounds really good for God's covenant people making these vows many, many years ago. What does it mean for us today? Well, brothers and sisters, Christ has saved us as his covenant people, called to live together as the people he has saved, and now people under and shaped by the authority of his word, who honor the Lord by how we love him and how we love one another. So the applications, if you're like, I just love applications, perfect. there's 10, you can just write them down. But I, I think these are just built into the text itself. What we are taught in these final six commands is how God's people are called to love one another in every aspect of life. That's the overarching principle. Let us seek to love one another in our homes, in how we treat our parents, in how we treat our spouse, in how we treat our children. Let us love one another by honoring each other as fellow image bearers, Treating each other, not, not just, let's go above, don't murder one another. But to honor the life, the image of God that he's placed in each other. To love one another by protecting one another's marriages. Praying for them, building them up. Love one another by respecting the possessions of others. And even more, being generous with what the Lord has entrusted temporarily to us. Love one another by defending the names and reputations of brothers and sisters in Christ and keep gossip and slander and lies off of our lips. And in all things, let us be content in the lives that God has given us by his grace with thanksgiving to the Lord. So how do we conclude this very fast-paced sermon on the Ten Commandments. Well, there are a couple of things that I'm asking the Lord to do in us, even right now in this moment. First, to show us our need for grace. And second, to show us the glory of our Savior. First, to show us our need for His grace. This passage reveals who God is. Let's not miss that. It also shows how none of us can fulfill these ten simple commandments. You know, there are actually 613 commands in the Bible. And we can't even do these ten. So let's just look through it real quick. By a show of hands, if you've ever done all of these things perfectly, I'd like you to stand up. Anybody here ever 
had no other gods before our God. You've never created an idol of anything from a person to a hobby to a career to comfort. Anybody never created an idol? You may have not carved a little image that you put on your mantle as some religions do, but anybody not made an idol of of something in your life? Anybody not taking the name of the Lord your God in vain, either intentionally with your mouth or maybe by your life? Anybody broken the Sabbath day (laughs) command? And not y'all, y'all are here on Sunday, but the people not here today, they'll all be in the next service. Anybody get through childhood unscathed on honoring your father and your mother? Or how about your father and mother-in-law? When it comes to commands 6 through 8, Jesus does something really remarkable uh, with this young Pharisee, this holy guy who comes up and says, I've, I've kept the Ten Commandments since, since I was young. And he says, oh, you, that's so wonderful. He says, well, you haven't murdered anybody? No. He said, well, you know, if you hate another person in your heart, it's like you've murdered them. Have you hated anyone in your heart? Maybe you've not committed adultery, but Jesus does the same thing and says, if you've lusted after another person that's not your spouse, you've committed adultery. Well, I haven't stolen. Well, really? Maybe you didn't walk out of a gas station with a pack of cigarettes, but have you ever taken credit for something in your career that you didn't achieve? Um, Just edited some numbers on your tax return? Lied in any way. You should not bear false witness. Anybody never slandered? Never gossiped? And anybody ever just never, people of Collin County, have you ever never coveted something that's someone else's? There's a big four-door, four-by-four, 2,500 in my driveway last night. It's not mine. It was just dropping off one of the children that are mine. I tried to trade the child for the truck. (laughs) It didn't work. Romans 3.23 says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Christian, these words are meant to shape how we live. But they can never be done perfectly. And they can never be done apart from the grace of Jesus. Jesus says to his disciples in John 15, 3 and 4, already you're clean because of the word I've spoken to you. If you're in Christ, that's spoken over you today. Already you're clean because you've trusted in Jesus. His blood perfectly covers you. Now abide in me and I in you. This is teaching us dependence on Christ in order to uh, have our lives conform to his will for our lives. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So those of us clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, fully accepted by the Father today, lawbreakers, every one of us. What do we do with these commands? Well, we abide in Christ and have him abide in us and bear fruit.
loving the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, loving one another as we've been loved by Christ. And to my friends who are not yet Christians, uh, if it feels like maybe these are a repellent to you, these Ten Commandments, the laws of God, you've run from them your whole life, you've hated them, you've loved the darkness and you hate the light, The Bible says that's the condition of all of us before we trust in Christ. So what the weight, if you feel weight right now, you can never live up and and, uh, earn God's approval. That's exactly what you're supposed to feel. And to be crushed under the weight of the law in order that Christ could save you at your worst and in your weakness, still enslaved to sin. He would demonstrate his love for you in that while you are still a sinner, Christ died for you. And so the Bible says what you need to do this morning. Do you feel crushed by the weight? Do you know you're removed from the people of God because of your sin? We've just done it with, we've dealt with 10, we've got six, well, 500, what, 93 to go? We've got a whole lot to go. I do words, not numbers, but there's a lot of work to do. And you cannot do it. So I plead with you, call on the Lord Jesus Christ today. Ask him to forgive you of your sin. And place your faith in him. So perhaps there are some of you thinking, well, I cannot believe something as important as the Ten Commandments. We just breezed through them in half an hour. Anybody? Anybody have questions still lingering about the Ten Commandments? Well, I have really good news for you. This fall, we will go verse by verse through these Ten Commandments and see what it is they reveal to us about who the Lord is, how they shape our lives as his people, and how they show us Christ, the one who has hushed the the law's loud thunder. And so uh, starting, Lord willing, August the 14th, we'll spend 10 weeks going through the Ten Commandments. Um. The next few weeks, we're going to look at the death and resurrection of Jesus. Then for our picnic, we'll look at um, what baptism means for us as Christians. And following that, looking at communion. As we look at the death and then the resurrection of Jesus, we'll then look at baptism, which points to his resurrection, and communion, which points to his death. Then on Mother's Day, Lord willing, we'll look at the song of Hannah and her song of praise to the Lord for a child. And then we have a very important series for us to go through for three weeks entitled uh, Together for the Mission. Where we'll look at our identity as the Trails Church, uh, where we've been, where we are now, and what the Lord has called us to in the future. We'll spend all, all summer in the Psalms. Very good. I feel your anticipation. <laughs> and, um, and then pick up August the 14th, back in Exodus, where we'll walk through the Ten Commandments, through the rest of the law, and through this incredible book. For today, let me invite you to join me in prayer. Let's give thanks to the Lord for his word. Father, we are so grateful that you have spoken to us, revealing who you are and who it is you call us to be. Thank you for your steadfast love toward us. And now let our response be that We live in love to you and to one another, something we're wholly incapable of in and of ourselves, and so we ask for your help to guide us with each step. We ask in Christ's name, amen.
Thanks for listening to this podcast from The Trails Church. We hope you have been encouraged, equipped, and edified by time spent together in God's Word. And again, if you'd like to find out more about The Trails Church, visit our website, thetrails.org. 